Hi, everyone. We're conducting an audience survey, and we'd be really grateful if you could take just a few minutes and answer a few questions. Please visit survey.prx.org happiness to take the survey today. That's survey.prx.org happiness. Thank you. The Science of Happiness is brought to you by Progressive, one of the country's leading providers of auto insurance. With Progressive's Name Your Price tool, you say what kind of coverage you're looking for and how much you want to pay, and Progressive will help you find options that fit within your budget. Use the Name Your Price tool and start an online quote today at Progressive.com. Price and coverage match limited by state law. My mom wore hijab, the headscarf, in the 1980s. In case you don't know what a hijab is, it is one more piece of clothing for people to comment on about a woman. And we would get questions from lovely people, like, why do you hate America? I went to a different elementary school for every year. One year, I was eight years old in Fremont, California, and my mom was going to meet us at the bus stop. It was our first time taking the school bus there. And she told me, get off at the third stop. And I got off at the wrong stop. And I was in charge of my little sister. I was eight, she was six. And the bus driver left, and all the houses looked the same, just like white houses, gray roofs, gray doors, white picket fences. All the street signs were the same. And we were totally lost, and I felt responsible. I was in charge, and I screwed up. And I told my sister, like, just be quiet, let's just wait. And meanwhile, my mom was waiting for us six blocks down. The bus came, dropped off kids, and then left. And just started leaving, and my mom ran after the bus with my brother in his stroller, pounded on the back of the bus, pounded on the side of the bus, pounded on the bus door. Open the door, open the door. And finally the bus driver opened the door and my mom says, my girls, my girls, I can't find my girls. You didn't see them, you didn't drop them off. And the bus driver said, lady, I don't know where your kids are, but if there were less of you in the world, we'd all be better off anyways. And then she laughed and shut the door on my mom's face and drove off. I'm Dacher Keltner. Thank you for joining me on our first ever live taping of the Science of Happiness podcast as part of a Science of Happiness event at 1440 Multiversity in Scotts Valley, California. I am delighted today to welcome the bold and brilliant Zara Norbash as our guest. Zara is an Iranian-American comedian and a writer who's the co-host of the acclaimed podcast Good Muslim, Bad Muslim, which has been deemed a must-listen by Oprah Magazine. And she's working on another comedy show right now, set to tour this year, called On Behalf of All Muslims, a Comedy Special. On each episode of our show, we have a happiness guinea pig that tries out a happiness practice. And then we just explore the science behind it, the personal experiences that it leads to. So Zara, it's, it's really a thrill to welcome you to our show tonight. Thank you for having me. Hello, hello, <laughs> Multiversity. <laughs> Listen to this beautiful crowd. Woo! What drove you to go to stand-up and kind of enter into the complicated world of... Standard self-loathing misery <laughs> that makes a comedian. <laughs> my dad is perfect fodder for stand-up because he was my bully growing up. He was always picking on me. And, you know, he was always pushing me. I remember the first time I brought home an A-. minus. Oh, my God. He was so excited that we were finally getting letter grades. And he looks and he goes, what? The Can I swear? Sure. He looks and he says, what the shit the hell is this, Zach? <laughs> a minus? 
<laughs> and with immigrant telepathy, I could hear him say, we did not escape a revolution. <laughs> and swim the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> and kiss the feet of the Statue of Liberty for you to get an A- minus in algebra. Algebra? Our people invented algebra, you infidel. <laughs> so I brought home the A. What the shit the hell is this, Sarah? An A? Why not an A plus? So I went and I brought home the A plus and he said, what the shit the hell is this, Sarah? A plus? Why'd you take such an easy class? <laughs> so what do your parents think about the work that you do? And do they come to your shows? And they do. Do they? They do. Yeah. It's so gorgeous to be able to have them as a part of this life where I perform and I tell these stories and it's healing for them, it's healing for me. And they love like everything I do. I mean, even the one show I bombed, I opened for Mas Jabrani one time. Mm -hmm. And I had a joke about my clit. <laughs> it didn't go over well with the Persian woman in the crowd. My sister was like, it was uncomfortable to hear that word in the audience. <laughs> and afterwards, my mom said, I think your clit is beautiful, honey. I'm sorry. <laughs> They're amazing. Yeah. Well, I want to move to the practice. And you chose to do the shared identity practice, and it's about what a lot of the contemplative religious traditions cultivate, which is a sense of common humanity. One of my favorite articulations of it is Peter Singer, the ethicist, just writing about just finding your commonalities in your circle of care with other people around us, and it certainly seems to be in short supply. Can you walk us through how you, Zara, did the practice? In the practice, uh, you think of a person in your life who seems to be very different from you in every way that you can imagine. Mm. Different interests, different religious or political beliefs, or different life experiences, or they're a zombie. <laughs> and you make a list of all the things that you most likely share in common with this person. Maybe you work for the same company, or you go to the same school. Maybe you both have children, or a significant other. Maybe, at the very least, you belong to the human species. And then, in the next step, you review the list of commonalities. How do they make you see this person in a new light? And that was the toughest part. Yeah, yeah. Why'd you pick shared identity? What got you to that practice? So I'm working on a segment in my show of a person who I uh, really am struggling to understand. Uh -huh. who is in my comedy special. You're talking about that school bus driver, the one who slammed the door in your mom's face when you were a kid. Yeah. And right now, I have this bit about zombies. And I really don't want her to be a zombie. I don't want to villainize her. And I don't, mm. and I don't know if that's right. I don't know if that's accurate. And I was, I've been wrestling with it. So when you guys gave me the option, I was like, I think this is the one. Yeah. And walk us through what that was like for you inside of your mind, what you did and Yeah, I mean, at like. first I wondered, is this like even the right thing to pick? Because I, right. I, I don't know her. Yeah. You know, I, I only know about her. And then I wondered what utility it had because like, why? You know, why do I need to humanize this woman? Why is that my task? Yeah, it's an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, is that the right person to choose or should we just let them go? Yeah, and then my mother was terrified. Mm. She found us, we found her mm. and my dad made sure that that bus driver was fired. And thank you, yes. But I understand the hesitation to applause. I understand the hesitation to applaud that because 
she can't be a zombie. Yeah. Right? And in, yeah. in, in my comedy show, like, I, it's nestled in this story about zombies and that I, I feel like I met a real-life zombie. Who does that? Yeah. But as a kid, I always felt like if I had had the opportunity to introduce her to my mom first, then she would be nicer to my mom. Because that was always my task. Every new neighborhood we moved to, I went, I met all the neighbors before my mom. I told them our whole life story, you know, and I played with that comedic tension. I, you know, uh, usually say my career in comedy began when I was five years old, protecting my mom from hate crimes. And as a kid, you know, I was already like diffusing tension. And one yeah. time I remember I leapt between my mom and this Santa looking man <laughs> and said, she is an immigrant. She's not from here. Will you please tell her to buy Lucky Charms? <laughs> she doesn't know that all the kids have them. It's magically delicious. And he said, you do not need more sugar. Listen to your mother. And I actually heard one of your podcast episodes where you talk about the power of comedy. Yeah. As a kid, that really cemented for me. You know, this man changed in an instant. And so then it was like this constant game for me to like wow. see how I could play with tension. And just navigating these complexities. And this time I wasn't able to do that. Wow. And it always sat with me that way. Yeah. I wrestled with it and something about the, the tension in me around it, that grip in your body, the muscular grip, mm. told me that there was something unsettled. And so I kept trying to think about like shared identity, you know, and that was like really trippy to think about. Like, it was hard because it's a traumatic story and I have these traumatic stories, you know, and events in my life where I feel myself disassociate. Yeah. So I sat down and I thought about like, what is it that is similar? What is our shared identity? Yeah. And I was like, well, we're both on the bus. <laughs> we were both listening to loud kids, watching them get off the bus. Yeah. And we're both tired. And we've both once been really mean to my mom. <laughs> and then that levity started to make me really angry. Wow. I didn't want to bring that levity to this story. Yeah. It, it didn't feel right. And, and then I kept wrestling with it and I thought, <laughs> I said, what's the point of this practice? And then I just, I just started crying and I, I just felt this ease. Because one of the things that I had realized was how much pressure I had put on myself to be in charge of that moment. Yeah. And to be in charge of this story. Yeah. And to be in charge of this woman. Yeah. And some people sometimes are zombies. Yeah. It just is. Yeah. And it's not my fault. And that was so hard. But it was so gorgeous, yeah. you know, to find in this story about a woman who was so horrible to us, these moments where, like it or not, you have to surrender. And it, I didn't expect that. Yeah. How is this working into your show right now? How is this? Oh, it's going to be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really curious... You know, you talk about almost like a, a deeper insight that you didn't expect to have with this practice that you got to. 
Did that stay with you? And how would you describe that in terms of what you yeah. carried with you? Like, wow, that bus driver taught me this. What I had done was, since she had existed in my mind as this supernatural villain, then I hadn't assigned her any responsibility. All the responsibility was mine because she was unavailable. And when I saw her as my fellow human, and I started to recontextualize her as this really tired bus driver who was sick of kids and yeah. sick of their parents yeah. and was really flippant in a moment that was very dire, then that recontextualization actually really helped me. Yeah. I mean, I landed at the last step of the practice, actually, where um, instead of seeing this person as someone unfamiliar or as a member of an out-group, you see them as an individual who has mm. tastes and experiences that might overlap with yours, you know, and as a kid, I understood, you know, going back to my experience as a kid of just, like, being tired and being annoyed, and, I mean, I, I didn't want to give her, you know, the ability to say to my mom, basically, there should be less of you in the world, bye. Yeah, yeah. I don't care if your kids are dead. To go without responsibility. I didn't want to carry that. But in actuality, seeing her as a person with shared experiences with me, it made me realize the ways that I was carrying a lot of that responsibility. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about this practice, just thinking about more generally, for people who are navigating the complexities as people from different ethnic backgrounds, how would you advise them to kind of turn to this practice from time to time? It really gave me a lot of ease in a time where it feels like you have to be vigilant all of the time. I didn't expect that takeaway where I realized not everything is under my control actually gave me more of a sense of agency. Wow. Have you just thought about trying it in different ways with other people you encounter or just oh my God. using some of his techniques? Just saying the word shared identity yeah. is usually enough. <laughs> like, I will be in an email argument and I'll say, shared identity, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how it just kind of, your shoulders open up and as soon as you say shared, the word shared, you know? it immediately expands you and it just shifts my thinking. Yeah. Well, Zara, I want to thank you for your humor and your brilliance and your commentary and what you're doing for our world. It is dearly needed and we are really grateful that you are part of the science of happiness. So thanks for being here. What an honor it is to be here. Thank you so much. Congratulations on your first live show. <laughs> <laughs> we recorded this interview with Zara Nurbash live at the 1440 Multiversity in Scotts Valley, California, in May of 2019. We have more live shows coming up, and we'll be sharing details about them soon. Up next how discovering what we have in common with other people can make us more kind and generous. What I wanted to find out is how different forms of shared identity might impact helping others who won't necessarily be in a position to help you back. More on the science of shared identities coming right up. Hiring the right team for your business can be a long and arduous process. 
With Indeed, there are no long-term contracts. You can pause your account at any time, and you only pay for what you need. Indeed.com is the hiring site that helps you find quality candidates with Indeed Instant Match. Indeed searches through the millions of resumes in their database to help show you great candidates instantly. Want your quality shortlist fast? You need Indeed. Right now, our listeners get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com happiness. This is Indeed's best offer available anywhere. Get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com happiness. Indeed.com happiness. Offer valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Where can you shop for Gucci, Rolex, and more iconic luxury brands up to 90% off retail? The Real Real. A trusted source for authenticated luxury consignment, The Real Real has stores in Chicago, LA, New York, and San Francisco where you can shop women's and men's luxury fashion and accessories, fine jewelry, watches, art, and home decor. Visit in person to discover things you'll only find in store. Plus, chat with in-store experts who can answer any of your questions. Take advantage of curbside pickup and more store services from expert repairs to personal styling. It's a luxury experience you won't get anywhere else. New shoppers get $25 off their first purchase. For locations and hours, visit therealreal.com store. Visit The Real Real today. Decades of studies converge on this idea that we're more generous and cooperate with people more when we feel we share some identity with them. You can have a shared social identity based on maybe you both wear eyeglasses or you both like country music or you went to the same university. Monica Widom, a professor of sociology at Oklahoma State University, brought people into a lab to test their generosity towards strangers. She had them interact with other participants through a computer game. Sort of like an online game with anonymous strangers. Monica created three different test groups. The first group had no shared identity. They had never interacted. The second group was given a series of fake band names, and together they had to choose the best name. So I made up all these band names like the Unibrows versus the Unstoppable Unicorns. But for the third group, Widom tried to foster a greater sense of shared identity. She gave them the chance to choose a band name too, but they had to come up with that name themselves, collectively working as a group. So they went through this you know, quick chat about, hey, what might be a good name to call our group that we're interacting in today? Next, every person in the three groups was given a set of points and a chance to give away or receive points from other people in their group. And these points were worth money. So at the individual level, people were motivated to earn a lot of points for themselves. However, when points were given to others, they were doubled, which means that at the group level, the more points that were given away, the more that could be collectively earned through these generous behaviors. Basically, it's a classic social dilemma. The group that had no shared identity, that just showed up with no interaction, they shared their points about 50% of the time. The second group, the ones who chose a random band name that Monica had made up, they shared their points 57% of the time. Not a really big difference. But then there was this huge increase when people had this group-based social identity where they interacted with someone else and they'd, they'd come up with a name and collectively voted on what their group was going to be called. People in this third group gave away their points 67% of the time. Shared identity is indeed a powerful motivator of helping out others, even when these others are strangers who might not be in a position to help you back. So it really humanizes them. It humanizes them. 
That's the idea we also heard from our guest, comedian Zara Nurbash, when she talked about the bus driver who had been so cruel to her mom. And when I saw her as my fellow human, seeing her as a person with shared experiences with me, that recontextualization actually really helped me. If you would like to try the shared identity practice or want to check out other happiness practices, visit ggia.berkeley.edu. Then tell us how it went by using the hashtag happinesspod or emailing us at greateratberkeley.edu. Our work on the science of happiness is made possible through the incredibly generous support of listeners like you. That's true for all the resources we produce here at the Greater Good Science Center. If you're a fan of the science of happiness and you want to help us bring more kindness, connection, and happiness to the world, please visit ggsc.berkeley.edu slash donate. We're grateful for every gift. That's ggsc.berkeley.edu slash donate. Thank you. Our podcast is a co-production of UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center and PRIPRX. Our producer is Shuka Kalantari. Production assistance is from Jenny Cataldo and Ben Manila of BMP Audio. Our associate producer is Annie Berman. Our executive producer is Jane Park. Our editor-in-chief is Jason Marsh. Special thanks to UC Berkeley's Graduate School of Journalism. <laughs>